Thanks for joining us for our look at the wineries and history of the Spring Mountain Appalachian. Today we're joined by Stu Smith, the longtime proprietor of Smith Padrone Winery here on Spring Mountain. Stu, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. Tell us a little bit about the early history of Smith Madrone. How long have you been there? How did you wind up there? I guess we got to go back to the, the beginning, so to speak. I was an undergraduate at, at Berkeley in the 60s. And unlike most college guys, I ended up liking wine better than beer. And as a senior at UC Berkeley, I, uh, I took a class out at UC Davis in viticulture and enology, liked it. Uh, applied for grad school, uh, got, got accepted, and, um, and, uh, and then, you know, I wanted to be in the wine business, and I didn't want to go back to Los Angeles. And um, I lifeguarded on the beaches in Santa Monica for five summers during college. And I got to know a family behind me, and they said, well, what are you doing on graduation? I said, well, I'm going off to Davis to do my master's work. And, and they go, uh, really? And yeah, I want to start a winery. And they go, oh, I've got all these people. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a classic cliche for the industry. Oh, you find it, we'll finance it. Well, that was great. Sent me off into, uh, into uh, outer space with that kind of uh, uh, concept. And, and, then, and then it blew apart, um, as those things almost always do. And then, uh, but being tenacious is all get out. Um, uh, put together a, a partnership of family and friends and, and um, anybody who would loan a 22-year-old kid money um, uh, and started a partnership and got into the wine business and, and found uh, the property on Spring Mountain. It had been a vineyard in the 1880s and then because of phylloxera root louse from the eastern seaboard, um, all of uh, California got, well, Northern California got phylloxera and, and our vineyard and all the Spring Mountain vineyards were abandoned at the, at the turn of the 20th century. And I first walked the property in early fall of 70 and the vineyard had completely um, gone back wild and there were Douglas fir trees that were 20, 20 25 inches, 30 inches in diameter. Um, so I knew the soil was good and it was uh, just upslope um, from Stony Hill, so I knew I was in a good climate location. And, um, and I was young, dumb, and didn't know better, and um, jumped in with both feet. Now you're involved with your brother. Was he involved from the beginning? No, no. Uh, Charlie, my brother, ended up uh, joining me. He, he and I would, uh, he'd, he'd, he'd drive out with me to UC Davis and, and uh, sit in the classes that I would take out there as a senior. Um, and so he was big into wine. Uh, uh, but no, I started it, and then he joined in 72, I think, when we were putting in the vineyard, at least we were staking the vineyard. Um, and then 74, he and I built the winery uh, with our own hands. So as I like to say to people who come in, don't look too closely. <laughs> it hasn't fallen down yet. Um, and the whole goal of going up there uh, was to try to make the best wine humanly possible. Why Spring Mountain? Why was that the property that most appealed to you? Well, it had good exposure to, to the um, to the east. Uh, had good soil, as evidenced by the trees. Uh, it had a good, you know, Spring Mountain District uh, is maybe one of the older, if not the oldest, sub-Appalachian region in Napa Valley. 
Diamond Mountain may be close to uh, it. But, but there was a history of growing grapes there. And then at the same time, plen- it was, plenty, it was uh, Virgil uh, had written a treaty on, on uh, farming in 43 BC. And he talked about uh, how difficult it was to grow uh, grapes for wine. And he went on and on, and he said, by contrast, it was so easy to grow um, olives. You just stick it in the ground, you harvest them. And he's the one who said, Colus, uh, Bacchus colus amate, Bacchus loves the hills. And there's two fundamentals that I believe then and I believe now, and that is that the best wine can only be made from the best grapes. And all things being equal, I believe, the best grapes come from the hillsides. And so I was able to find this property. It, 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 the, the slopes were good. The exposures were good. Um, and as it turned out, uh, a kind of a, a life adult uh, philosophy developed that is that if, it's, if there's an easy way to do things and a hard way to do things, I guess I've always assumed that I, I, I was destined to do it the hard way. Now, when you started there back in 70, who else was around? Uh, good question. Well, Stony Hill, the McCrae's, uh were down below us. Um, Ritchie Creek, which was a little teeny winery uh, run by Pete Miner, was nearby us. He'd, he'd started a couple years earlier. Fred Aves had started Everdon, and Fred was a was a, 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 a character. If there ever was a character, he was it. He didn't know anything about winemaking. Didn't really seem to care very much either. But he built one of the most beautiful wineries in the valley out of out of stone. Um, and um, that's kind of it. Uh, Keenan hadn't quite become Keenan. There was a little there was an old winery there that had been slightly operating. Uh, had a permit. It was the original Conradi property um but as far as i know they hadn't any they hadn't bottled anything in, in a very long time keenan came in uh bob keenan bought it uh and started that up in about 73 4 5 somewhere right in there and talk a little bit about what you've seen in this period of time it's changed dramatically there's so many wineries up here now talk a little bit about how it's changed and how it hasn't well, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. Um, it was an exciting place for a young person. It was affordable for a young person. Um, <clears throat> there weren't very many wineries. I don't think there were 30 wineries in operation at the time. And it was a very small provincial backwater agricultural area. It was agriculturally dominated. Um, women at the time, uh, educated women, um, even, uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. You could be a real estate person. You could, uh, work on the bottling line. You could be a teacher. And that was the primary occupations for women changed dramatically today. Um, I, I think, uh, the Valley, uh, has changed dramatically for women. There are more women winemakers now than I would think there might be men. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and with communications, internet, and everything else, um, there's all sorts of opportunities out there. It was, um, it was a little bit of a closed society. Uh, you were always uh, a new- newcomer. Um, but it was very friendly. 
in 75, uh, my wife at the time and I and our daughter were living in a mobile home and we had a fire um, and it burned down. Uh, and the fire trucks had come way late uh, and we had just graded the road the day before and it had rained and it was just a sloppy mess. And Lori Wood uh, walked on down to, down to where we were and he had a case of wine on his shoulder and he said, you know, just thought you might be needing this. And in other instances, I was in the Chevron uh, uh, station in, in St. Helena and, and Tim Mandavi pulls in and we started talking and he goes, hey, just wait a minute. So he goes over to his car and pulls out a Shiner, which is a, a bottle with no label on it sparkling wine, had a crown cap on it. And he said, here, uh, we're, we're experimenting and, and uh, let me know what you think. And I, that was lovely. Unfortunately, they didn't move ahead with it because it was really a lovely wine. And then um, the third little story vignette is that um, Bob Chinchero, uh, uh, his family, uh, he and Roger and, and uh, Vera owned Sutter Home Winery. And they were small. They, they really were barely 20,000 cases. They made um, red grapes, all Zinfandel from the uh, Amador Sierra foothills. And, um, and, and Bob tells the story about breaking stuff, and he'd call up Louis Martini, and Louis would say, well, Bob, you know where everything is. Just go rifle through it until you find what you need to fix it. And, and those were the good stories. You know, <clears throat> pardon me. The, and, and, and they illustrate a, a, a agricultural friendliness um, of helping one another. Does that still exist today? Not as much. A little it's, bit. A little bit. A little bit. Um, and there wasn't this, this hostility toward the wine industry from the people who weren't in the wine business. People who, who lived in the Up Valley uh, were thrilled to be here and to be part of of the area of, of Napa Valley. And, and it was especially interesting because it, it was evolving quickly and Napa Valley wines were well thought of, but provincial. We, 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 you know, the industry didn't have a lot of reach. Um, in the 70s, early 70s, late 60s, 80% of the wine produced in, 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 Cal in, in California, which dominated everything, was mostly jug wines or dessert wines. Uh, they were generics. They were um, Chiantis and, and uh, Rhine wine and Chablis and, and, and uh, Chianti and Claret and stuff like that. And um, Louis Martin, pardon me, uh, uh, Christian Brothers, who no longer, is, uh, no longer exists, um, didn't, didn't uh, vintage date their wines. They were, they were just all, they were, you know, one vintage just blended right into, <laughs> into another vintage. Maybe that's why they're not here anymore. Um, it was, it was a special place. It still is a special place. Um, the kids still have a lot of fun, uh, who are in the wine business. Um, it's, it, it is different. The Napa Valley, I realize is constantly changing. One of the things that I, I think is, uh, an issue here is that people move here and they think it's wonderful and they want to freeze it in, in you know, uh, uh, stop motion and you can't do that was there some of that in the 70s and early 80s that that you and your contemporaries at that time wanted to freeze it then well there there was what was called unva upper napa valley associates and and um uh and they were uh an active group uh they beat back 
Caltrans wanting to make Highway 29 coming up into St. Helena into a four-lane road instead of a two-lane road. Um, St. Helena had no signals. Uh, there was, for 40 years, talk about how they could do a, a bypass around St. Helena. It never came to fruition. Um, there were, and there still are, I have on my computer, uh, uh, archived um, news reports from, from uh, KPIX from 68 and 70 in that period of time, where they're doing news reports uh, on Napa Valley. And there's a, there's a great one with Mike Mondavi, and he's got big, long sideburns, and he's just hardly out of, out of diapers. He's so young. And, and they're talking about the exact same things we're talking about today, exactly the same words, the same everything. It's just like, oh, my God. Now, I will say, from my point of view, um, when, when we, I finally closed on the property in, in uh, early 1971, I, I got a, a RPF, Registered Professional Forester, which you have to do to get a logging permit, and I logged our, the, the old vineyard. And I logged about a million board feet of timber out of it. And, um, and when I went over to Santa Rosa, to the CDF, CDF office over there, uh, I got the permit. And the guy look, looks at me and he says, kid, he says, I know you think you know what you're doing, but you don't. He said, as soon as you fire up your first chainsaw, the crazies are going to come out of the woodwork and, and they're going to be all over you. And I go, no, sir, that's no, I'm, I'm a newly minted, you know, UC Davis graduate. You know, I'm bringing science and technology to the wine industry. I'm doing a good thing for the vineyards because it's going to act as a fire break. And, and I said, you know, this, no, this, this, is a, this is a good product. This is, this, is, this is all good. This is good for everybody. And he just looked at me knowingly and and uh i <laughs> i learned very quickly that i was wrong and he was right <laughs> how is spring mountain different from from the rest of the valley as you see it oh it's it's very different i think um we're almost almost all of us uh family uh family wineries uh most everyone up here has uh has a strong personality as you have to to survive up here, it takes a lot, and um, if you don't have the courage of your convictions, you're just not going to make it up here. But it's a friendly place, and um, and I think it is unique in that aspect. Is that is that Spring Mountain is a bit of a throwback to to the old days where we do cooperate, we do get along, we're mo <laughs> we're mostly friendly with one another, and. Um, uh, and I do think it's a very special place. And tell us a little bit about Smith Madrone today. How many acres? How many acres are planted? Well, we have 38 acres in vineyard or in various stages of production. Of, of production. Um, it's funny how history repeats itself. Um, Phylloxera came to the valley in the uh, 1870s, 1880s. It came back to the valley in the 1980s and took 20 years to get up to us, and we started our first replanting in 2000. We're about 90% replanted. But 38 acres, we have five varietals. We have, um, pardon me, six now. Uh, we have Cabernet Sauvignon. Well, we planted uh, the four varietals. 
which I think then and still are the four most important varietals in, in, in the world, and that is Cabernet Sauvignon and Pinot Noir for reds, Chardonnay and Riesling for whites. We got our lunch handed to us with Pinot Noir and grafted it over in 86, and then around 98 we added a little bit of Cabernet Franc and Merlot, and just last year we added a little bit of Petit Verdot. Uh, we don't buy any grapes. Everything we, we make, we grow. And, um, and it's myself, my brother, and now my son, and we do it all. Um, we have a crew of about four that work in the vineyard, and then uh, Charlie and Sam do the, uh, Sam's my son, do the winemaking and, and, uh, and tours and tasting. And I do everything that um, nobody else wants to do. <laughs> and you have visitors? You can have visitors no, by yeah, we, appointment? We, we're, we are by appointment only. Um, it's not our, uh, it's, it's not our uh, option. It's, it's the way we're permitted by the county. Um, we do tours and tastings Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturdays. And, um, and we do it uh, 11 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. And talk a little bit about the experience for a visitor of coming up there, what it's like. Well, Charlie mostly does it, and when he doesn't do it, I do it, and, when I, and we're both out of town, then Sam does it. Um, well, you, you, you get uh, a tour uh, by an owner, winemaker, uh, and he will give you his thoughts. And since he was an uh, English literature major, you might wander off into the weeds and other things. <laughs> Um, but you get you, you, you stay as long as you keep asking questions. When you're done asking questions, it's pretty much over. Uh, and I think we give a pretty good hands-on uh, uh, tour, and that you know the three of us that do it, um, you know, it's it's we who do it. And I think that makes it uh, a little bit more special than than just having a person who's just mm-hmm. dedicated to doing it. And talk a little bit about how people can get the wines. Oh, we're happy to sell wine to anybody uh, <laughs> with money. Uh, we don't discriminate. <laughs> um, uh, we sell directly at the winery. Uh, you call us. You email us. You can go on our website, which is smithmadrone.com. Uh, and we also sell uh, through traditional distribution. In, we're in about 22, 23 states across the country. And we're also in um, several Canadian provinces. We're in um, Japan. We're in the UK. We're in um, uh, Denmark. We're going into Germany and Czechoslovakia. Well, and how many cases are you producing? Oh, we're big. We're big. We're really big. Uh, <laughs> We're, when a good year, we do 4,000 cases. On a really good year, when we finally get back to full production, we may go up to 5,000, 5,500 cases. As I like to say, you can take our entire production. So the Czechoslovakians are limited about what they, they, they can have. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you, and, and most of the wineries up here are like this, too. You could take their entire production, both red and white, and put it in one tank at Robert Mondavi, and you wouldn't even fill it. Um, so it gives you some kind of sense of it. You know, we're all passionate about what we do. We're, we're whacked out about wine. Um, if you wanted to make money, uh, I used to teach winemaking over at Santa Rosa Junior College uh, to make ends meet. And, um, and I used to say to the students, look, if you want to really get into the wine business and make money, don't. Uh, go buy a couple of McDonald's franchises and you can re- retire to the Bahamas in, in 10 years. Whereas in the wine business, the, the winery says, feed me, feed me, feed me. And we have a kind of a strange idea, most of us on the mountain do too, that, that the, wine, the wineries are supposed to feed us. 
Um, and one of the other things that I like to say, we don't do Corinthian columns. That's for down in the valley. If you really want a, a, an experience of visiting a winery and talking to people who truly love great wine and want to make great wine, then come up on Spring Mountain and Smith Madrone. And what do you see as the future for the next five years, ten years for Smith Madrone? Well, Sam's there, and Sam's doing great, and I have no, uh, uh, no intention of going anywhere. Uh, so I think for Smith Madrone, we're just interested in making better and better wine all in all, you know, new technology. Uh, we've done a lot of replanting, and we've changed a lot since um, 48 years ago. And um, you only got to once or twice in your lifetime to replant a vineyard. And, um, and when I planted the vineyards first in 72, and then we started replanting in 2000, um, I learned a lot. And technology had changed, and a road direction is important, spacing is important, trellis system is important, the, the, the height of your stakes uh, are important, and, and um, making sure that the fruiting wire, which is where everybody does most of their work, working on the fruit and, and thinning, is at an ergonomically correct height, because we, we, we don't want our workers bent over, we don't want them standing on their tiptoes either. Um, and so there's a lot of really new stuff that's been going on in the vineyards uh, in advancement. And so that's really great. The, the issue for me is that uh, I, I keep looking at what we're doing and thinking, so what is it in 40 years that they're going to look back on and say, why didn't they just see this? Why couldn't they do this? And that haunts me because I know there is always something better to be done, some new way, new wrinkle, new view of how to make the vineyards better to produce better quality grapes. And, I'm, and, I am, and I am racked with not knowing what that is. We'll leave it there. Stu Smith, Smith Madrone, thanks so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you.